Welcome to the Biz and Life Done Well podcast, where we explore what it means and what it takes to do business and life well. I'm your host, Peter Wilson. If you're like me, you're intrigued by stories of common people who have achieved uncommon success in business and life. Join me as I interview fascinating people about how they got started, their successes and failures, their habits and routines, and what inspires them. Today, my guest is Andrew Ball. Andrew, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Peter. Appreciate being here. So um, I like to get started by just finding out a little bit about you. I grew up in Michigan, moved to, uh, moved to Chicago uh, for college, uh, stayed there for oh, God, almost 11 years, did a little stint in San Diego uh, interim there, uh, and then moved out to Seattle, I guess, coming up on seven years ago. Okay. Uh, so, um, you don't look that old. Uh, yeah, you know, sixty-two uh, is is the is the age. No, uh, <laughs> uh, I'm I'm in my I'm in the mid, my mid thirties. Uh, so that's that, that's about the right timeline there. Uh, if you if you do the math. Uh, All right, where'd you go to school in uh, Chicago? So I actually spent a year in Michigan at uh, Grand Valley State University, uh, which was okay. a, it's, a, it's actually a large school, but it's a it's a Division two. Division two school, uh, moved down to Loyola Chicago uh, from the the, uh, the final four this last year. If you remember, uh, <laughs> moved down to Loyola Chicago after a year. Didn't, but you know. Uh, well, come on. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and then uh, and then stayed there for a while, and then I actually ended up doing uh, grad graduate school in starting in Chicago, going to San Diego, and then coming back to Chicago with uh, Pacific College of Oriental Medicine. Okay. So great. So you and I know each other through a networking group. And also, you're an acupuncturist. Uh, how do you describe, you know, exactly your profession and any of the, uh, you know, qualifications and things like that? Uh, yeah. It's a good question. So, so my degree is doctor of acupuncture in Chinese medicine. Um, unfortunately, we don't have a national. Uh, we have a national certification. Uh, we don't have a national license per se. So, depending on what you what state you're in, that that changes. Oh. Uh, hmm. And then we're in the process of transitioning over from what used to be called a master's of, well, it was either traditional oriental medicine or traditional Chinese medicine, uh, over to uh, what's become known as the first professional doctorate, uh, which is the degree that I have. Uh, the school that I went to actually was the uh, sort of the, the model for that. Mm -hmm. uh, and then there's another degree on top of that uh, called a doctorate of acupuncture in oriental medicine, DAOM, as opposed to the DACM that I have, uh, which is sort of like a PhD. It's a little bit more research-based. Uh, it's, it's sort of the, the medical PhD as opposed to an MD. Okay. Uh, so in this state, however, because this is all a little bit different state to state, uh, our current licensure is uh, East Asian Medical Practitioner, EAMP. Okay. There's okay. Lo lots of acronyms here. Okay. Uh, licensed acupuncturist. For those of us who've been licensed long enough, we were grandfathered in and could say licensed acupuncturist. Okay. So um, after my name, you'll see DACM and LAC. Perfect. As opposed to all the other things that could potentially be on there. <laughs> what was the length of your actual sort of medical school versus your traditional undergrad type? Two parts here. So my, my, my personal uh, length was four years of undergrad, a little bit of post-bac work, uh, and then four years of uh, or three years and eight months straight through without breaks uh, of, of graduate school. And then another year on top of that mm. for the, for the doctorate program. Um, 
you can theoretically go through and, and enter matriculate with just an associate's degree. So you don't necessarily have oh, to okay. have for uh, a year. You, mm-hmm. you do have to have all the post-bac work, um, all the different sciences and, and things that you, mm. it's, most people are entering with a bachelor's uh, as opposed to an associate. So Got it. start to finish high school to practice. Uh, it's at least eight years for most Got people. It. Got it. Why did you decide to go into uh, Chinese or East Asian medicine? You know, I, I started, as you know, I started in Western medicine. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was I was medical school bound. Um, mm. I had my I had my letters from a couple of different schools, uh, and decided that it really wasn't where I wanted to be for an, a number of reasons. Um, Chinese medicine wasn't necessarily the one thing that I was drawn to at that particular point in time. Okay, uh, it was more the holistic side of things, mm-hmm. uh, and I was sort of searching for something that was as um as complete of a medical system as i could find okay uh, i actually have an uncle who's a who's a, an acupuncturist and herbalist um and has been for oh god i don't know probably 30 years mm-hmm. uh, we weren't super close he was in the bay area i grew up in michigan so i saw him from time to time but um i was aware of it uh and happened to be talking to him i think i was i was working at depaul in a research house at that point in time depaul university and um had something that came up related to Chinese medicine and, and had asked him about it. And that started another dialogue between us. And I started talking to him more about what the career prospects were and um, what his, uh, you know, what his practice was like. And mm-hmm. uh, there happened to be one of the better schools in the country um, about four blocks from where my apartment was at the time. Uh, so I went down and, and met a few people there and learned a lot more. And it really mm. clicked uh, when, when I got there. Uh, the the reasons I left Western medicine, everybody's heard these things before, right? The sick care versus health care debate and not getting to spend enough time with your patients and you're just a cog in a machine and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. So I mm. wanted more autonomy. Um, I wanted to be able to spend more time with my patients as I saw fit. Right. Um, so not working for a hospital, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Uh, really like the educational aspect of this medicine. I get to spend a lot of time educating people um, about health, um, correcting some misconceptions, um, and, and really helping them to take control of their health. That's, mm. that's, the, that's the ultimate goal, as mm-hmm. opposed to just pushing drugs on people, pushing surgery on people. Right. Um, give them a, a deeper understanding as to you know, what they're doing, how it's impacting their health and wellness, um, and how they can change some of those things, or, or not, in certain situations. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not mm-hmm. I'm not diehard in my field like a lot of people are. I, I do recommend people um, back to their primaries for surgery and drugs sometimes, but I, it, it's certainly not a, 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 the first defense. Is there a simple way to say or tell us the difference in approach, traditional Western medicine versus the Eastern philosophy? So what we need to first do is define Western medicine, not as Western medicine, but as allopathic medicine. Okay. Uh, And that opens us up to not just Chinese medicine, but any holistic therapy, which includes things like chiropractic and massage and naturopathy. Yeah. uh, Okay. So allopathic medicine, the the root there is essentially you're treating something that's wrong. Right. Okay. Right. Uh, With holistic therapies, what we're trying to do is keep the body balanced enough so that things don't go wrong. Okay. That, that's that's the okay. primary difference. Got it. Okay. Um, the way that we can kind of break that down a little bit further is that in Western medicine, we have what I refer to as verticals, uh, which are also otherwise known as specialties. Yes. You're a cardiologist or you're an oncologist or whatever it is. Yeah. Uh, and you don't really stray too far outside those those bounds. Right. Um, it's It's... In my opinion, and in the opinion of a lot of medical professionals, pretty foolish to think that those things are so separate that um, 
people treating a condition, uh, take your pick, cancer is, is a great example, uh, mm-hmm. that that's not related to pretty much every other system uh, in your body, the way that you're the way that you're eating, the way that you're living, the way that you're, what you're surrounding yourself with, those are all intertwined. Mm-hmm. Uh, Western allopathic medicine is sort of designed on an algorithm. Okay. So you start with a problem and you go through a bunch of yes or no answers, lab values, answers, symptoms, whatever they might be. Mm-hmm. And then you come up with a solution, a diagnosis and a treatment at the other end. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas holistic therapies are more of a circular uh, okay. diagnostic process. Uh, where you're starting at one and you're looking at all the other components and seeing how wrong or right those all are uh, and synthesizing to then spit out um, a diagnosis and a treatment plan mm-hmm. at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, 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 it's a different thought process, really, okay. uh, when, you're, when you're approaching the, the diagnostic process. And it, it's an investigatory process that's not, it's not as linear, I guess, mm-hmm. is, the, is the, biggest, mm-hmm. the biggest piece there. Mm-hmm. So I've recommended... Um, acupuncture and uh, you know other therapies to well and I've just you know referred you as well um, to folks what's interesting is um, a lot of folks will say wow I've never thought of trying acupuncture so for anybody listening who's never thought of you know considering um, acupuncture not necessarily for a specific symptom but just in general um what would you say to those folks considering it not for a specific symptom well i'm i'm not trying to say sure uh, i'm not trying to recommend a specific you know well and so 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 this is i I guess getting back to your last question about what what's the difference between western and and eastern yep yep in my field we can treat what would otherwise be acute things symptoms that show up for right. people, that's not right. the unique value proposition. Got it. Because you can do that in Western medicine as sure. well. Sure, It's the preventive aspect, Got and it. it's the subacute treatment. Okay. Subacute meaning things that are not really problems mm-hmm. for you yet. Mm-hmm. Your lab values aren't quite there to diagnose you with right. something. Right. Uh, that's that's where we really excel. Mm-hmm. Uh, and people say, well, yeah, I, I don't really need to get any, not for me specifically, but I don't need to get any treatment because I don't have anything wrong. Hmm. Maybe, right? But it's pretty far and few between where I run into somebody where we can improve their health in some right. way, uh, whether that's again diet or stress levels right. or whatever it is. So how they're sleeping, how they're well, sleeping, all these things manifest yeah. at some point in some problems for people, even right. if they're not seeing the direct link. Right, and right. that's a big schism and thought. Uh, in this country in particular, because people go to the doctor when something is wrong, right? not when something's not wrong. Right. <laughs> and that's, that's really when we would prefer they come in so that we don't get to that next stage where right. they've got, you know, they've developed something. Mm-hmm. Um, I tend to treat a lot of orthopedic conditions. Okay. That's a bit of a different situation. Um, if you haven't rolled your ankle, I don't need you to come in to not roll your ankle. Right. right? right. I mean, right. we're talking more in, internal medicine with that, with the preventive aspect. Yeah. Um, but okay, it, it's an interesting experience and it's an easier experience and a more pleasant experience if people are coming in when they don't have something major that's going right. on. Uh, so that's, that's really the, the cell, I guess. Got it. Got it. <laughs> you found that this area is, uh, Seattle area is fairly accepting and, um, open to the ideas of, 
the Chinese or Asian medicine? Yeah, so I practiced in Chicago before I moved here. And um, the, the conversations that you're having with people whom you don't know mm-hmm. uh, are very different. In In the Midwest, it was more describing or more definitional, right? Like, what is acupuncture? Okay. Uh, versus out here, it tends to be more, well, what does it treat? They, oh. Pretty much everybody out here, if they haven't had it, and I yeah. forget what the market penetration is, yeah. um, but it's it's fairly high mm-hmm. uh, in comparison to the Midwest, anyhow. Right. Uh, they, I've either, People out here have either had it, or their family members have had it, or their friends have had it. Uh, they, they know somebody who's had an experience with mm-hmm. Chinese medicine. Mm-hmm. So they're more about applying it to themselves versus in the Midwest. It's, it's still less so in Chicago because it's a major metro area. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like when I go back to my parents' place in Michigan, people are looking at you as, as sort of a novelty uh, a lot of the time mm. uh, because they've just never heard of it. They, they don't know what it is. They don't know anything about it. That's, that's the biggest difference I get. So once you finish school, is there a, is there a practicum or an internship or a, a whatever there's, you have to do? There's a national licensure that you have to go through. Okay. Unless you're in California, they have their own licensure, mm-hmm. uh, which is actually a little bit above and beyond the national licensure. Um, so you have to go through it's boards, essentially. So you have right. to go through and pass your boards. Uh, and then you have to go through whatever state you're in uh, and get your license. Uh, there is not a requirement for um, uh, fellowship or internship like you would find in, in Western medicine. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's advisable a lot of the time. Um, but the infrastructure isn't really there to necessarily support survival. Right. <laughs> you, know, you don't really yeah. get paid for those primarily. Right. Uh, or if you do, it's very, very low wages. Okay. Um, so I would say most people don't end up doing that. Mm-hmm. Uh, our field has a larger attrition than some of the other uh, oh. medical fields as well. And I, I think that's part of the reason is people are mm. they're not making money fast enough, so they end up doing something else. You were with another clinic, and then you started your own, right? Yeah, I've, I've floated around a little bit. I think uh, depending on how you measure it, I've had seven clinics over the years. Um, I'm not leaving the one that I currently have. So that one's, that, that's it. Okay, good. <laughs> uh, I was, I was with another, I was, I was a, I was a partner in another company and, um, uh, it was a, it was a wellness clinic and I had started the, the acupuncture program there mm-hmm. uh, and left there in 2015. Okay. Uh, and that's when I actually officially moved up to the Edmonds area. Uh, I have a, a friend who is a, he's an upper cervical chiropractor, uh, whom, whom mm-hmm. you've met. Yep. Yep. Um, he had an office that he was opening up uh, and said, hey, I've got an extra room. And I was leaving my other company quickly, I guess would be the term, okay. uh, and needed some place to land my patients. And, mm-hmm. and that worked out well. Uh, that was supposed to be a short-term gig, but because, <laughs> because Kevin and I are friends, I enjoyed being in the space, and he wasn't in any rush for me to leave. And that yeah. just sort of turned into, I think we're four years on now. Oh, cool. Um, so... And then your other clinic is? Uh, my other clinic uh, is down in Burien. I open that, uh, I guess, next month will be two years. Congrats. Uh, thank you. Uh, that's been uh, a great space. It's my own space. Uh, I've always shared or rented space uh, from other people. Mm-hmm. Um, my own space, and it's been, uh, it's been great. That's why I said I'm not leaving that one. My other clinic is at a point now uh, where I'm not... I'm not working 60 hour weeks. It's, it's starting to self-sustain, which is great. And it's, it's providing an income, uh, a comfortable income for me now at this point, which is great. Mm-hmm. Um, so hiring somebody this year is probably the next step. 
so biz and life done well, right? So yeah. I, I've, I've sort of in the last couple of years since opening this other clinic really uh, sort of modified some of my goals okay, uh, and taken a hard look at what my goals are for my business that are my goals as opposed mm-hmm. to being extrinsic goals, things that people have just assumed that you're going to do. Yeah. Uh, and five years ago when I was, I was opening a clinic here uh, in, in the Northwest, I was totally into the option of, um, or, or the goal, I guess, of having three or four clinics around town. I, I don't know as though I'm in that space anymore. Okay. Do you have anybody working for you? I don't. Um, I have tried to design a super lean business model in that sense. Okay. Um, I, I don't have anybody at the front desk. I don't mm-hmm. have anybody at this point doing my billing. I don't have anybody doing um, really anything in my office anyhow. I've, I've out, I have outsourced a few of those things. Mm-hmm. Um, some marketing, uh, right. of course. Yeah. Um, but uh, but my goal is to never have anybody in the office um, that is not licensed and, and seeing patients. Got it. Well, that makes sense. What is your philosophy of care? Uh, well, whole po- whole person is always the biggest piece, right? And people come in and they've got a problem with something, and you start asking them questions about something else, and they're going, no, 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 the problem's over here. And it's, I, I know, that's why I'm asking about this other piece. Uh. Uh, there's a lot of... Uh, compartmentalization that patients go through, um, and you know that's what they're taught. That's what, right. That's the medical system they've grown up right. in. If, if your knee hurts, it's the problem with your knee. It's not a right. problem with anything else. Yeah. Curiosity is a big component uh, of my care. Uh, mm-hmm. You have to ask a lot of questions. You have to dig. I was so when I was in the, the the Western medical world, I was in forensic pathology before that. Okay. Which is sort of the investigatory side yeah. of medicine, right? Yeah. That's, for, that's what forensics is. Now, that's part of the reason I was drawn to, to Chinese medicine, I guess, to answer a little bit more on one of your previous questions. Yeah. Um, so my philosophy of care is really getting down to the root of the problem, figuring out what is causing whatever people are experiencing. I mean, people come in, they complain of symptoms, right? They're not coming in complaining of diagnoses. Right. Sometimes they match up, but sometimes they don't. Mm-hmm. And then I like to give people the option. I, I usually walk them through and I say, this is what you have going on. Um, if you were to do 100% of what I ask, this is where you'll end up. If you're not willing to do 100%, mm-hmm. and most people aren't in some capacity, some mm-hmm. capacity, and that's fine. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I certainly am not 100% compliant. Just give me a pill. I don't want to do this. Well, yeah, that's maybe a little bit less compliant than I would like. <laughs> but but then we sort of work our way back down to what a good balance is. Okay. This is, this is the amount that I need from you, and this is how far we're going to get. Mm-hmm. And once we've decided that, then, then the treatment plan is a lot easier. Mm. Everybody knows what's happening. Mm. Uh, that coupled with a lot of education Hmm. and I don't often see patients eyes roll back in in their head. Sometimes I do because I give them a lot of education about what, what they're doing, how to change it, how to look out for changes in their health. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and I want them to have that autonomy by the time they're, they're done being treated at my office. I don't want them coming in every week for the rest of their lives. Right. Financially it's good for me, but, uh, it's not interesting for me at that point. So. Is there a, a case or a treatment or a, a patient that really sticks out as you really felt like, wow, I was really able to have a dramatic impact on that person? You know, honestly, I, just yesterday I had one that okay. came in. Uh, for people who have, have been around me enough, um, they know that there's two things that I tend to talk about ad nauseum. Uh, one of them is uh, not putting ice uh, on their injuries. Yes. Uh, which I know you've heard that, yes. that diatribe before. Yes. Uh, the other one is nutrition. 
uh, and really not even not even complicated nutrition, just decreasing the amount of carbs that we're eating on a regular basis, increasing the amount of healthy fats, pretty much ignoring a lot of what the USDA and FDA have done uh, over the last 50, 60 years. Uh, and I have a patient whom I've been seeing. She's 75. Uh, I've been seeing her for a year, maybe. I see her about once every three months. And I've been asking her to change a few things with her diet. Uh, mm-hmm. She has a pretty standard American diet for a 75-year-old. She has hypertension, prediabetes. She's a little bit overweight. She doesn't sleep well, acid reflux. I just saw her yesterday after giving a little talk uh, in the morning about fats and carbs and nutrition. Uh, and she did exactly what I asked her to do about two months ago. And I didn't do this. I, I told her about it. I educated her on this and asked mm-hmm. her to do this. Yeah. Uh, her trig- she, So she changed her diet. She dropped almost all the carbs. She got rid of the fruit. She's not eating any simple sugars. Uh, and she upped her healthy fats. And she dropped her triglycerides from 512 to 90. What? Wow. Her total cholesterol, I think it was 230 down to 160. Wow. Lost 10 points off of her uh, blood pressure. She's lost 12 pounds. Her A1C is down a little over a half a point. Wow. Uh, which is a it's a marker for diabetes. Okay. A1C. Yeah. Uh, and oh, what was the other? Oh, well, and I guess she's sleeping well now, right? So she's she was getting nine to ten hours prior to this change, and not feeling rested, and now she's getting eight, and she's feeling great, and she's seventy five years old. Wow. Uh, that wasn't anything I did. I just educated her on what needs to change. I right. mean, people have to be curious about their health. Everybody mm-hmm. needs to be curious about their health. Mm-hmm. And if you just take what's given to you as truth all the time, it leads you to where we're at now uh, as a country, sicker than we've ever been. Right. Um, so I, I was not expecting changes like that for her, mm-hmm. but it's pretty dramatic. What What do you think made the difference for her? Well, she told me what made the difference. It was uh, early on in the, in, the, in the Christmas season. I guess it was sometime early December when she made this change. And she was just feeling bad all the time. Oh, She yeah. was foggy-headed and, and just fell off and not sleeping well. Uh, oh, I guess the other thing is that she hasn't taken her, uh, her Zantac uh, mm. since Christmas because she okay. hasn't had any heartburn. Her heartburn was really bad. Uh, and she finally... After you know a year of me saying this needs to change, so we're, she not was gonna, we're not going to sick get, and tired of feeling sick and tired. Yeah, yeah, we're not going to get anywhere unless you change these things. Yeah. Uh, she said, "What the heck? Let's give it a shot." And she did it, and her blood work came back seven, eight weeks later, which was just a couple weeks ago, yeah. uh, with these pretty dramatic changes. Wow. So, yeah, people That's have cool. to hit their breaking point, unfortunately, sometimes to affect some changes. Right. Let's talk about you a little bit. What sorts of uh, routines or habits do you have in particular um, with respect to just, you know, healthy lifestyle or in your business life? Um, What are the sort of habits and routines that you feel have uh, helped you become successful? (laughs) You know, I was thinking about this on the way up here uh, because I, I tend to be a very frenetic person. Uh, you should interview Anna, my partner, on this because it takes a lot of patience for her to be with somebody like me. I, I, I'm very undisciplined in a lot of respects. Okay. Uh, I don't have a lot of habits and routines necessarily. Um, I have to hit a breaking point with a lot of these things. I'm notorious yeah. for getting a little bit behind on billing. Uh, I have things that are being collected from 
eight months ago now, Ooh. which which can be problematic. Um, Might want to farm that out. Well, yeah, potentially. With so that's with respect to my business. And okay. My, my, my business. Enough. Yeah, my Fair business enough. has been a little bit more. Uh, Kind of going with the flow to a certain extent. That's why. That's why well, I got I, out of the hospital world, right? I didn't I, want to be corporate. I do know one routine you have with your business, which is uh, networking. Networking has been the biggest piece. Uh, it's the most engaging for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I love talking to people. Um, I love talking about my medicine. I love talking about other people's businesses, uh, and whether that's been with BNI or with the chamber or down in Burien, we've got something called Discover Burien, which is kind of the de facto chamber. I enjoy those things, and so mm-hmm. that's fun for me to go. It doesn't feel like I'm working, I guess, you know, right. when, when you're networking, right. versus going to a, a networking meet and greet and you just jam cards into everybody's everybody else's hands for an hour and then you leave. That's right. not fun. Well, I guess the point is you make a habit of networking. I do. I do. Yeah. Yeah. I, I go out to lunch with people. I go to my BNI meetings. I, I touch base with people from time to time. Uh, mm-hmm. I try to interact with their social media. Uh, right. It's that's that's probably the the biggest routine and habit that I that I have. Um, personal life, on the other hand, uh, I tend I try to do the best that I can practicing what I preach mm-hmm. uh, with respect to diet. Yeah, um, I I mentioned you're a fine specimen, by the way. Oh well, thank we can't you. see you, but. <laughs> uh, I, I tend to be pretty experimental with an, an extreme with the things that I do. Uh, okay. So whether that's fasting or um, getting on into ketosis or I, I, I tend to take things to the nth degree to kind of see what it actually does. Mm-hmm. A little bit of an experiment of one. A bit of a guinea pig with yourself. A little bit of a guinea pig. And everybody's, you know, the more people you you treat uh, as a a medical provider, you see not everybody responds the same. So those aren't universally applicable. Right. Yeah, I I tend to be very, uh, fairly clean in what I eat. I don't, I don't do a whole lot of, I couldn't tell you the last time I had soda. Uh, You know, I grew up in the Midwest. (laughs) So that was definitely a part of, a part of my diet Mm -hmm. growing up. Um, I don't tend to eat a whole lot of breads. Um, I do like chips, uh, specifically tortilla chips, Mm. but, uh, you know, you, you got to temper that a little bit. Uh, and then a lot of healthy fats, Mm -hmm. um, butter is, is great. Grass fed Mm -hmm. butter, Mm -hmm. eat a lot of butter. Love that. Um, and then trying to drink as much water as I can. Um, pretty basic stuff, right? Right. It's not. As far as uh, habits and routines for my diet yeah. are concerned, they're not complicated things that I'm right. doing. Right. So you're looking at just long time. It's more like lifestyle. Like, just... Well, yeah. Life, uh, habits determine your lifestyle. Right. right. So, so. Uh, I try to develop lifestyle things as opposed to uh, as opposed to just one-off habits. That's where the you know people diet all the time. And if you are dieting, that means that's not the way that you normally are. So right. I try to develop uh, habits, lifestyle habits. So you're eating, eating, not dieting. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Uh, fitness routines. Well, as you know, I bought a fixer upper uh, a few years ago. So, it, oh, a, it, a home, it's, it's, it's a fixer upper home. Yeah. It's mostly yeah. just working on my house. Uh, okay. I used to be pretty active uh, with running. Yeah. Prior to that, uh, in college at least, I was I was into triathlons. Um, so that sustained sustained uh, endurance exercise. Haven't really been doing a whole lot of that since we bought this house, mm-hmm. uh, but. Um, I'm still very active. We have a dog, so I play with the dog. Uh, I'm working in the house. I'm either in the attic or in the crawl space or doing whatever with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a decent amount of property, so clearing the property has been 
a lot of work physically. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. uh, and I get to the gym from time to time. So I tend to swim more at the gym. It's, okay. it's a little bit more meditative for me um, at this point. I'm not really in the in the main part of the gym very often. Mm-hmm. And I haven't been for a couple of years. Hmm. What do you do for fun? <sighs> Boy. Uh, do you of, have fun? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, a lot of hiking. Uh, so Anna and I love going out and, and hitting the trails when we can. Um, I tend to be pretty creative at my house. So mm-hmm. a lot of carpentry and a lot of, um, sort of artistic things around the house, you know, it sounds trite, I guess, hanging out with friends. Uh, we, at one point in time, we're very into going to breweries. I guess we still are Yeah, living in the Pacific Northwest makes that easier. Sure. Yeah. Um, 2015, I think it was, we hit every brewery in Seattle, uh, which wow. at the time was like 45, I think. So. Bang. For two people with careers, that was that's pretty <laughs> that was good. a lot. And you're still thin. And I'm and still fairly thin. Yeah, yeah. That, that was most of my carbs at that point in time. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, I, I still read quite a bit. I'm not doing novels as much as I used to. Um, but, um, yeah, a lot of reading. I, I spend, honestly, probably most of my free time learning, researching. Mm-hmm. Uh, not necessarily what I do professionally, not necessarily medicine, but yeah. just being curious about whatever right? right i mean you can start out researching one thing and end up you know you take seven or eight left turns and you're yeah. researching something completely different by the end of the evening right. that's called the rabbit hole the rabbit hole yeah that's not uh, that's not that uncommon for me <laughs> cool so uh you mentioned books any books that you would recommend for folks just thinking about business or life in general uh personally um uh, Personal development's a big thing for me. Okay. Uh, I went to a Jesuit school. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not Jesuit. I'm not Catholic. I'm not Christian. Okay. Um, but the the focus of that is not only service, but also that personal development, uh, mm-hmm. personal enlightenment, if you want to talk about it in, in terms of Eastern medicine. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I spend a lot of time, or at least I used to when I was reading more, more avidly, things that are not just uh, studies, uh, learning about anything I can okay. uh, in particular. And it's, it's partly a product of where I grew up uh, in West Michigan, learning a lot about religions mm-hmm. um, as, as religious studies, not because I was religious, but because I was curious. It's a, you know, it's a, it's a sociological look into humanity you know, mm. when you start reading about religions. Um, so are there, is, is it, what is it about Western Michigan that uh, lends itself to that? It's sort of the main hub of the Christian Reformed Church. Okay. Um, okay. Which so Calvin College is the big one that's there, uh, which is a very good school. Yeah. Um, it's a uh, fairly conservative Protestant. Yeah. Religion. Got uh, it. Uh, and I, neither one of my parents were from there, and mm. everybody there is related to everybody else. I see. It, it seems, uh, and we were sort of the outliers. Got it. So. Uh, that shaped me quite a bit growing up, mm-hmm. uh, not having that immediate connection, the, whether it was the Dutch aspect, because most people are Dutch there, okay. uh, or the Christian Reformed Church, the CRC, yeah. uh, not having either one of those. Uh, Got it. Sort of put up a couple of barriers. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. But I learned from it, which was which was Okay. Good. So getting back to the books, were there any books in particular that... So what? one of the ones that really had an impact on me was religious literacy. Uh, it's okay. by a guy named Stephen Prothertow. Uh, he's a Boston College or Boston University professor. Uh, and has since, since he wrote that book, has started ruffling some feathers. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but at the time, uh, it's, a, it's a pretty decent look into the development uh, of 
some of the major religions uh, around the world, and it's really intended to give people literacy in those different religions. Hmm. Uh, and he was coming at it from a standpoint of um, basically people who understand things about other people tend to not be as, uh, maybe not critical, uh, aggressive mm-hmm. towards those people. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of that aggression is born out of ignorance, right? Uh, assumptions. Uh, so that that was kind of the, the point. So it might book. generate a little more empathy. Yeah. Yeah, empathy, understanding, we're all the same, all that, mm-hmm. all that trite stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> any, other, um, any other books that had kind of an impact on you in that way? From a religious standpoint, uh, I don't think so. Uh, one of my other favorite books that I've read in the last couple of years, um, can't think of the guy's first name and the last name has a bunch of consonants slammed together uh i think it was richard mloden now uh and it's okay. called subliminal okay uh and it's about the way that we interact with people um he's a he's a psychologist of some sort of these social psychologist mm-hmm. about uh, touches on marketing and a few of these other things but about the way that we interact with people and how that uh either conveys your messaging or how we can take advantage of other people. Um, and it's a, it's kind of a deep dive into the, the nonverbal ways that we communicate mm. with each other. Okay. Uh, it's, yeah. It's subliminal. I think is it's Richard Mloden now. Is it, uh, does it deal with a little of the brain science? Did yeah. 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 yeah, yeah very very okay. much brain science. Okay. So I, I studied, I was a psychology major among other things. I was also a biology major and a criminal justice person, but, uh, I studied psychology when I was in, in undergrad. Uh, okay. so kind of have a, a big interest in, in the way that the brain works, the way we perceive things. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's been, that was a really fun read for me. Cool. Um, we'll have links to any books we talk about in the, uh, show notes. In addition to links to your, uh, clinics. Ah, perfect. So we can, uh, if folks want to find out more about you and your practice, um, they can certainly get a hold of you that way. So, so who inspires you? I think you can find inspiration in pretty much everybody in, in some capacity. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. When you see people who are the name brand uh, inspiration yeah. people, right? what I tend to see is a lot of problems in other areas that are not their chosen success. Okay. Right. Uh, okay. Elon Musk, I guess, is currently the uh, the, the self imploding person over the last year. <laughs> yeah, a- and he's achieved all these amazing things, but at what cost? Right, right. Uh, I feel like everybody can teach us something mm-hmm. about something. Uh, it's, it's not necessarily always going to be useful for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, might not be some self- something that's revelatory, but yeah. uh, you can you can learn something from everybody. Uh, and especially, you know, looking at, you know, business, for example, people yeah. who have achieved what I consider to be a fairly balanced, um, life work success. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're a great mm-hmm. example. Well, thank right? you. Yeah. Thank you. I know a little bit about your story coming out of the corporate world and you're not yep. there anymore. No. And, and I, I see that as a big step. <laughs> yes. Um, people who are just interested and engaged and, mm-hmm. and um, otherwise good people to be around are the ones that inspire me the Got most. It. And you want to find out why, how. Um, right. How, how they've achieved that. Right. Well, that's why we're asking you these questions. Well, right. You yeah. inspired us, <laughs> so you inspired me. Is there anybody along the way that has inspired you? So let's not talk about now, but let's just talk about, like, you mentioned um, an uncle. Um, are there any other folks, you know, 
parents, grandparents, um, I mean, anybody in particular that, that just sort of inspired you in a particular way? Sure. So part of the reason I got out of Western medicine is that I had too much curiosity and a bit of an antagonistic personality. Mm-hmm. And I think that uh, my parents inadvertently uh, instilled that in me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, I'm sure if they were listening to this, they'd be shaking their head. Yes, yes, that's, that's absolutely true. Uh, I remember, I don't remember how old I was, but I remember a, a conversation with my dad. Uh, he was an early baby boomer. He was going to college. He was trying to get out of the town that he grew up in. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, he sort of felt whether this was implied or this was just his perception that he really only had a couple of tracks if he was going to go to college. He'd become an engineer, which he did, uh, a lawyer, or a doctor. That was all that was really open to him. And mm. for my mom, it was pretty much a nurse or a teacher. She was also mm. the first in her in her family to go to college. Uh, I think my mom loved what she did. I don't know as though my dad did. Mm. And uh, I remember him relating that story. And I don't know if he actually said this specifically, but you can kind of do whatever you want. You don't have to do what, what you're expected to do. Mm-hmm. And that that really changed the way that I looked uh, at what's expected of you, whether it's in school or business or, or life for that mm-hmm. matter. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's still, I don't, I don't, I don't think about it as often as I used to, but I, I can still see that thread working its way through a lot of the things that I do. I, I try to bring a fresh perspective to all of those different things. Right. Clearly uh, had an impact on you. It, yeah, it absolutely did. It absolutely, mm-hmm. I mean, it's probably why I'm, you know, he didn't push me towards Chinese medicine, but that's probably why I ended up, you know, going this route is because right. I, I wanted to do things different, things that yeah. felt right. And, and um, you know, the expectation when you're in, when you're at a, at a good school and you're on track to go to medical school and you're doing well, the expectation is that you go and you get your degree and you do your residency at some prestigious hospital. And I didn't want that. Mm -hmm. And I sort of felt, um, I sort of felt allowed to, to not pursue that, uh, by that conversation that we had had. So you want to tell us just a little bit about intermittent fasting? I know, um, you know, not asking you as, uh, for your professional opinion per se, but more about just your experience mm-hmm. and, um, you know, how you would explain it to, I'm just asking you personally. Sure. Like, well, so it, intermittent fasting is just not eating intermittently. Uh, and it can mean a lot of different things. Um, I referred earlier to 16, 18 hours, uh, a day, not okay. eating. Okay. Uh, there's alternate day fasting, which is a 24 to 30 hour basically skipping a full day. Mm-hmm. Um, there are doing a couple of days uh, a week, uh, consecutive days, uh, mm. would be considered intermittent fasting. Mm-hmm. So like every Tuesday, Wednesday, you don't eat or you do mm-hmm. fast. Um, what it's designed to do is really uh, affect the endocrine system more than anything else. Uh, the way that the various... Uh, the various chemicals floating around in your body are being produced, mm-hmm. when they're being produced, mm-hmm. uh, and how they're reacting with your nervous system. Okay. Not everybody does well on the same intermittent fast. or or So I, I guess to, to back up for a second, regular fasting is just longer. Okay. <laughs> you only do it once, right? Right. Uh, so take a week and don't eat anything, basically. That's, right. that's, that's kind of a dumbed-down version of it, but right. that's, that's essentially what it is. Right. Uh, so you're doing this to see long-term effects. 
Okay. Uh, and not everybody's bodies respond the same way. Uh, the same mm-hmm. way that some people can look at a cookie and gain a pound and other people can eat the whole pack and not see any change. Sure. The same thing happens when we're talking about intermittent fasting. Okay. Um, I tend to feel really good not eating breakfast. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't... If I do eat breakfast, I tend to uh, get hungrier faster in the day. Mm. Uh, I tend to crave things that are more car- carbohydrate rich. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't have as mentally, I'm not as clear or as sharp or as quick. Mm. Um, so I, and I have sort of trained my body to, to be okay with that. And it's really, I mean, it's skipping breakfast. It's not, it, it's not like I'm skipping multiple days at a time anymore right. at this point. Typically, anyhow. Is intermittent fasting just a way of life for you now? Yeah, for the most part, if I'm not intermittent fasting, it's usually on the weekends. And typically speaking on the weekends, I'm still not eating any carbohydrate before mm-hmm. one or two. Mm-hmm. Uh, so bacon and eggs tends to be the, tends to be the thing in the morning. Uh, Got it. Yeah. And that's, that's really, so really what that's designed from a medical standpoint to do is to not stoke cortisol levels, uh, not spike your insulin levels. Okay. which has an impact on cortisol levels. Okay. Uh, and it gives you a, 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 a smoother curve throughout the day, so you're not getting these, these big highs and lows. I mean, mm. Everybody knows about the sugar crash, right? So, right. So uh, you're, you're avoiding that, among mm-hmm. other things, and not just the first one, but also throughout the day. Mm-hmm. It's easier on your adrenal glands. Uh, I sleep better uh, when we're in that situation. So mm. uh, I've done keto, uh, ketosis, a lot okay. over the years uh, at various times. Uh, and this has been a nice balance of, of realistic eating habits uh, with uh, still seeing some of the same benefits. I'm not mm-hmm. typically in ketosis, but uh, mm-hmm. but I get some of the same endocrine benefits. Mm-hmm. How uh, would you describe business and life done well? What does that mean to you? I think the long and short of it is being happy and making those around you happy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not surrounded by, but I have a lot of people in my life who are very heavy on one side or the other of that, that biz in life. Mm. Um, they're, they're either in a dead end job that they don't like or they're frustrated with it constantly or that's all they have is, is their work and Mm. their personal lives are pretty vanilla. And for some people, that's what they want, I suppose. Mm -hmm. But earlier when I talked about not necessarily wanting to have the three or four clinics anymore, right? I sort of had to revise what my goals were. Uh, and a lot of those are more on the personal side now. Mm-hmm. It's a good balance. Uh, so it's a work-life balance, right? So yeah. it's not living to work, uh, working to live, sort of. Uh, but I'm passionate about what I do, so there's a little bit of a uh, living to work. But yeah, I don't. I enjoy not having to work 40 hours a week if I don't want to. Mm-hmm. And that might not be doing anything in particular. It might be hanging out with friends. It might be going on vacation. Uh, it might just be hanging out at home. It's mm-hmm. not necessarily this glamorous jet-setting lifestyle with all this vacation time because mm-hmm. I don't get vacation time per se. Right. Uh, but not feeling like I'm tethered to my job because I've got to achieve something that you know what, what the standard forty hours of of work and success. That's not that's not what I want anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think that people who have made that realization uh, tend to be happier, and those around them are happier. And the irony is that as soon as I made that uh, that realization or had that realization, things started happening easier in my business side as well. So uh, I think that there's possibly a little bit of self sabotage that that people go through. Uh, especially in the small business world. Well, I know that people have a lot of self-sabotage in the business world, but... In in what way? I, I think that you're primed to see the broader picture and be able to pick up on uh, opportunities when you're not as stressed out and single-mindedly focused. Got it. 
Yeah, if you're not stressing and you kind of just take a step back, maybe open yourself up to what the world has to offer. Yeah, I mean, it's it's the cutting off your nose to spite your face sort of thing. Okay. Right? Okay. Like if you're not – if you've got this project that you have to finish, mm-hmm. why do you have to finish it? Uh, because you've set that arbitrary goal. Uh, and, right. and you sacrifice three or four other things that could have actually, in the long run, put you ahead of where the finishing this project gets you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That, that's not a good business model. It's not a good life model. Right. So how do you set goals for yourself? That's something I could probably work on, <laughs> is setting more concrete goals. Um, I, it goes back to that happiness. I, I, like I said, I'm pretty undisciplined in my business. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Not your practice, mind you. <laughs> right. No, I, I. yeah, I'm very disciplined in my practice, but actually running the business, which is a completely different thing from yes, actually practicing. Of course. I, I tend to just check in on a fairly regular basis and figure out where my stress, stress levels are at, whether or not I'm happy. Mm-hmm. If I am, then that's a good place to be, and mm-hmm. I, I like what I'm doing. I, you know, I, I sort of have to cut back every now and then. I take on too many projects, and I... Uh, sometimes the personal life uh, overcomes a lot of the the, the, the things at work. Mm-hmm. Uh, just finding that balance. I mean, that's you know, it's, I'm in Chinese medicine. Everything's based on balance, right? Okay. So it, it's it's just making sure that you're walking that middle path, the Tao, and all that stuff, right? Okay. So it's um, just constantly bringing yourself back to center. That's kind of my goal, and I don't I don't really have a lot of goals past. Um, wanting to be just happy and content, and, mm-hmm. and um, uh, feeling engaged and, and like my mind is stimulated when mm-hmm. at work and at home. As we wrap up here, is there anything else you want to add? Anything we didn't talk about? I think one of the things that's led to some of what you're seeing as success uh, mm-hmm. in, in my life, and I'm not saying I don't feel successful, sure. uh, is that I have always had 15 different irons in the fire. Okay. I have a doctorate. I think I tend to be more at the mastery level as opposed to the doctorate level but the mastery level over a wider breadth of things mm-hmm. that, that single my, I haven't had single minded focus since I was an undergrad. Mm. <laughs> I've always had a couple of different jobs at the same time. I've always had, mm-hmm. I, mean, I, I had three different locations at one point in time uh, mm. for, my, for my practice. Mm. Um, I owned part of a business that did essentially construction uh, at one point in time. Um, I like, I'm, I'm kind of all over the place in what I do. Mm-hmm. And I think that has allowed me to achieve some of the success in mm-hmm. part because it's, it, it's what it allow, has allowed me to see some of the opportunities. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. If you're only looking for opportunities in one vertical, uh, there's fewer. That's just definitionally there's fewer. Right. Uh, so it's, it's really allowed me to sort of, um, take advantage of, of, a, of a, a, a broader set of skills. I mm-hmm. think. Um, mm-hmm. And it's maybe happier, that's for sure. Got it. So you're a bit of a modern renaissance man. Jack of all trades. Yes. Yeah. Master Jack of all trades, master of one. <laughs> <laughs> I hope I'm your patient. So. Yeah, well, yes, yes. <laughs> Andrew, thank you so much for coming today. And we will have links to um, everything that we talked about that's relevant books, your practice. Yeah, thank you, Peter. I'm uh, looking forward to uh, to seeing this up on iTunes. Right on. Thanks for listening to this episode of Biz and Life Done Well with Peter Wilson. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and most of the other popular podcast platforms. Please tell your friends about us and leave us a review so even more people will find out about us. Thanks again. We'll see you soon.